0: Hello, and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley, and I'm Team Edward. (laughs) Are you Team Edward or Team Jacob? What the heck?
1: I wasn't prepared for that. I don't know if I've seen enough Twilight to have a strong opinion. I've only seen the
0: first... Two films mm. I'm Stephen Hilger by the way I was that's as that's as much as I've seen also oh uh, really yeah I, I I read the first book when it came out and I saw the first movie and I hadn't seen anything else besides that except when I was working at a movie theater uh, I was working at a movie theater when the last one came out and I remember I was I was a projectionist like at the midnight screening of of the last movie and I just like at a certain point in the night I peeked out the little window from the projection booth just to like make sure the movie was playing all right and I saw Michael Sheen just rip a guy head off and i was like should i watch these movies
1: (laughs) yeah i gotta say i really loved my time in theaters in 2007 or whenever it came out watching new moon uh i love the cast i had a great time
0: the cast is amazing
1: yeah if you made me choose i would say team edward yeah Um, i think team jacob i don't want to speak on behalf of team jacob but i think jacob himself is a little bit dean adjacent if we're doing gilmore girls comparisons (laughs) Uh, a little bit controlling Uh and manipulative in a way where like he's positioned as the nice guy but it's like the bad boy
0: is actually nicer yeah you know what i mean yeah i can't get over so i sorry to totally deviate from the course but (laughs) i i just i watched new moon last night for the first time i've never seen it um and i just can't get over the fact that all of the werewolves just hang out in jorts at all times like they're, they're in like the cold dreary foggy woods only wearing jorts and anytime they transform into werewolves you just see the jorts rip off like they just like fly into a million pieces as they turn into wolves and one of the funniest shots of the movie co- t- goes totally unremarked upon but there's this moment when bella goes to visit all the werewolves and they immediately like kind of get at odds with one another and they all transform simultaneously and it's this, supposed to be this shot this like intense shot of all the werewolves kind of squaring off but the ground is just littered with shredded jorts that's amazing and I, could, I couldn't get over it. it's like the movie is so unaware of how funny it is yeah it's hilarious i uh i also think it's a tragedy
1: about how poorly bella's dad is treated in every film yeah uh, at least the first two charlie I've always felt bad for for her dad yeah and also the like random human boy that likes bella <laughs> like is there any yes. team what is it mike or something is there yeah, any team,
2: remember mike out there? Yeah.
1: <laughs> team mike is exactly one person and it's Mike.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it was just like what why is yeah. this happening to me <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um anyway i'm enjoying my time uh, watching the twilight movies for the first they're time they're
1: fun yeah. i think there's a huge place for movies
0: like that i think so too yeah yeah i'm having a good time well thinking about video games talking about video games yeah oh i do want to shout out we we release our animal crossing bonus and uh thank you to everybody who listened to it just wanted to shout out that that came out because that came out and then the next day we released a normal episode Um, yeah it's back to back but uh yeah our our new leaf bonus is out uh and that game continues to be good i've checked in a couple times since we've recorded that episode
1: yeah it's it's lovely it's been great returning to that and thank you again to our friend will
0: for making the music it was Uh, so good yeah really incredible the music is awesome uh and, and we got a lot of positive feedback about that music, so shout out to Will. Thanks Will. Great job. So do you want to talk about new video games, Steven? How do you feel about that? Do you new want to talk video game stuff? Yeah, 2023 video games. We're not games. beholden
1: to 2007 this episode. I don't I don't think so. Okay. I'll keep my Wii copy of Marvel Ultimate Alliance in my desk drawer then. <laughs>
0: okay, well, you should bust that out sometime, though. <laughs> uh, you've been playing Season. I've been playing Season, A Letter to the Future. Uh, it's a, it's a new game out on the PlayStation 5 and I believe PC as well. Before Before I even get into what the game is, if I like it or not spoilers. I w- I just want to mention, I-, I think kind of the elephant in the room about season is there was a lot of reporting a couple of years ago about the studio, Scavenger Studio, specifically that the CEO and founder of the company was just like an abusive and bad dude, um, which was really unfortunate. And the people who worked at that studio went through a lot of emotional trauma that I, th- I think like nobody should have to go through while making a video game, obviously. Yeah. And-, and it really put a damper, I think, on the work that they were making, which I think everybody resonated with immediately. They showed it. Off during a playstation oh yeah event at some point and everyone was like that looks like it's gonna be the shit when it comes out um and then all this reporting hit it kind of unfortunately i think there's not been a lot of follow-up reporting i don't think we know a lot of what has happened since then what we do know though is that that person who was responsible for that kind of stuff has left the company since i think has remained on in some respects for like not even hands-on work but as far as we know, that person is no longer working at the company. And the company itself has also issued a couple statements saying like, hey, we are actively looking into this. We are actively trying to fix this. And it's been kind of vocal on their website, at least in blog posts that I've seen in trying to right the ship. Which I think is good. Um, it's yeah. it's, a, it's as good as you can hope for. You know, I, I think in a lot of cases you hear about these kinds of stories, and then you know, a game like Season goes unplayed forever because everyone's like, I don't really want to support that because of you know right. what happened there. Um, but in this case, I feel like the studio has kind of done all the right things. It sounds like, and I hope that that's the case. Um, But I I think as with all things, you, dear listener, everyone individually kind of needs to make up their own minds about how comfortable they feel doing this. And in my case, specifically, my thought was there's a lot of people at the studio putting their heart and soul into making a really beautiful video game. And I want to support that. Yeah.
1: It's unfortunate how often we have to like have this kind of conversation. I think there there are so many games and, you know, this kind of behavior and these kind of events are unfortunately like an industry wide reality. Yeah. So I think on one hand, it's good that we're getting more exposure and hearing about it when it happens, but it's just like very disheartening and also kind of complicates like, you know, do I get this? Am I, am I condoning this indirectly by getting it? You know, so that's going to vary by individual. I don't, I don't think there's a clear right answer there.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, every, everyone needs to kind of make up their own mind about it. But I do think it's unfortunate that there are like reporters out there whose entire beat is reporting on this kind of stuff because it's so prevalent, right. you know, like that. Yeah. That speaks to uh, the the gash in the industry. I think that this has left and continues to leave. That having been said, I have been playing season a letter to the future on my PlayStation five, and it is early contender for game of the year. Easily. Nice. It is stunning. I can't I can't overstate how beautiful this game is, but specifically also how like my shit this game is, <laughs> which is kind of the big thing is like, I don't know. I don't know if I would recommend this to everybody. Um, I wish I could. I wish this was one of those situations where like I could speak into this microphone and say, I think everyone should play this because I I do. But I know not everyone will resonate with it the same way that I am, I think, unfortunately. But the, the crux of this game, uh, if you know nothing about it, is you play as a character who lives in a world that seems adjacent to. Ours, uh, but has a totally different history. It feels a lot like our world, but has has a different history that's condensed pretty dramatically. So you're living in the year like 770 something, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And every like 30 or 40 years, there's a shift, like a pretty big shift in the eras of this world, uh, and they're referred to as seasons. So there was like a season of war right before the season that you live in, uh, where there were just 10 years of an unending war that just seemed. Like it it was, well, like it was never going to stop. And it kind of like dramatically changed the landscape of society and culture in that world. Before that were the golden years. Before that was the era of industrialization. Before that, they don't know because that history has been lost to time. And you, as the protagonist of this game, get essentially a, a, a prophecy from your best friend in the town that you live in that's like this season is going to end soon very soon and no one knows what that means because sometimes seasons end and it's good and better and makes things better and sometimes seasons end and then you have a 10 year long war that is a nightmare right um what season does it start in uh it doesn't have a name yet the season that oh, you're okay, in. So it's kind of ambiguous yes Got it. from what i can tell it seems like seasons are named after they've ended you know when people look back in retrospect and say like you know kind of the way we do now honestly like right. nobody knows when we're living right now but you know eventually we're going to look back and think about it the way we do like the eighties or the nineties or the seven, you know, things like that. Like we think of the early two thousands as twilight era, you know, (laughs) or
1: I think we're starting to get like a hazy outline of the 2010s and we're all like, 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 (laughs) like,
0: that was
1: the hit song in
0: 2013. Yikes. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So Your character, (laughs) interestingly, uh, the the game begins with you deciding to set off with a a field recorder, like like a microphone attached to a a tape deck and a camera. And your job is going to be to record what society is like in this season before it ends. So you can take all of these recordings, all these photos and your sketchbook and your notebook um, and deposit them all in this like kind of collective societal library that everyone that everyone maintains. So researchers thousands of years in the future can hypothetically look back on all this stuff and get an understanding of what the season was like. And... I think like pretty immediately, the game sets itself up in my eyes as kind of entering this pantheon of what I'm I'm kind of considering to be like art house games in a way. I feel like that we're in this era right now where there are people who are experimenting so much with the form and imbuing a lot of it with like, I would say like really kind of thematically dense storytelling uh, and experimenting with the ways in which we interact with virtual worlds. And there are a couple of games that come to mind here. One of the ones that really hits me When I think about season, is Jet the Far Shore? Yeah, um, which is a game that I, to be perfectly honest, like didn't love, love, but was enamored by right when it came out. I thought I thought it was like a really stunning experience, and when when you first start watching sorry yeah start watching that opening cutscene in jet and start experiencing and moving your way through the world it almost feels like you're watching like a sci-fi version of dr jivago or something like it feels like old art house cinema in a way yeah. um or i guess in that case blockbuster cinema but it was still very artsy and season feels the same way you start the, you start the game hearing about all of this from the perspective of somebody in the future who is reading the notebook and then it goes back in time and you see the protagonist and She and her mom are performing this ritual to create a little crystal that she's going to wear around her neck that will prevent her from getting any diseases of the mind, which are apparently like really prevalent in this world. Diseases of the mind are such that uh, there's one that's called like time dilation disorder, where you perceive time going at a different speed as everybody else or things like seeing too many memories of other people's past lives instead of your own like lived perspective right now. There are a bunch of different like ailments kind of floating around this world uh, and you and your mom create this crystal to prevent you from getting hit with any of these while you're outside of the safety of the village that you grew up in. Uh, and the way you go about this is by finding objects of sentimental value around the house that have these memories tied to them and depositing them into this like cauldron essentially to distill them down into this crystal but every time you do that it erases is the memory from your head. So, you know, oh, you no wow. longer have the memory. You no longer know what that object was, that it was, e- that it even existed or like where it came from. And it's this really harrowing, brutal scene of you and your mom, like losing these memories that you have of like grandparents and friends and like experiences that you had as a kid. It's really tough. And I was like, oh my God, is this all the game is? It's just going to be like.
1: <laughs> that reminds me of a, uh, in I Was a Teenage Exocolonist, the main, it's mostly a visual novel, but the main gameplay is, like, a deck builder. Yeah. And whenever you choose to rest you can forget one of your cards but they're all memories mm-hmm. so it's right, like right, right. first steps or first words or whatever It's has kind of so not quite as harrowing of like losing like like concrete memories but it kind of represents like growing up and like what are your like what are what are sort of the thoughts and feelings that are like on your mind right now mm-hmm.
2: as
0: like a 14 year old or a 17 year old or whatever yeah uh, until you uh, decide to throw out all of your new memories and you beat that game with your baby dick yeah <laughs> 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 sup you two this is my baby
1: run of i was a teenage exit colonist we're
0: gonna join the military and just have our first, first steps, steps. yeah go <laughs> caca ew scary so that's the way the game opens and um, uh, what they what they tell you as soon as you walk out the front door and start on your quest is that nobody has ever left your village uh as long as it's existed, essentially. And they teach you how the game works by having you go around and use the field recorder to record certain things in the village and take some pictures. And the way this works is as you record things and take photos of things, and as you start to pick up objects and kind of like sketch them in your notebook and stuff, you're given actually like blank pages of a notebook and it'll say like, you know, my home village. And then you'll have... A collection of all of the objects, all the photos you've taken, all the objects you've held, all of the uh, recordings you've done, and you grab them and place them in the notebook. And you're like actually creating like the scrapbook of where you are. And the way you progress through the game is by getting enough things in a specific space to fill up those two pages of the notebook. And then at that point, the protagonist is like, cool, I feel like I've captured this place. Now I can move on to the next one. And that's how the game works for a while. Uh, You make your way around this village and then as you leave the village, it's obviously very sad because nobody's ever left and she's like, I probably will never be able to come back here. But you get a bike and you start making your way through the world, the actual world itself. And surprise, surprise, there are people who live outside of this village. And a lot of the game ends up being like talking to these people about their culture and their society and where they're from, what their hopes and dreams are, what's going on. The part that I'm in now almost feels weirdly enough like um, that bit in The Last of Us Part 2 where it's like an open world for a little bit. Um, A lot of the game up until this point has been, you know, discrete areas where it's like, okay, I'm in the village. Now I'm in the, the valley outside of the village, uh, specifically just like making my way through all of these old cranes that seem like they're from the era of industrialization and stuff. And where I'm at now is this place called Sang Valley which was known as kind of a, I would almost say like an Ellis Island kind of vibe uh, in a way, uh, which is like the Statue of Liberty in New York city. Um, but where a lot of people who were traveling to and fro would essentially like stop here and be like, Oh wait, this place is actually like a place where I could set up and have roots. And it's been that way since the year, like 300 since like before people even have like recorded history, of what was going on. They just know that, that this place Sang Valley has been around for a really long time. And the first person you meet is this guy who is a member of a group called the Grey Hands, which is trying to be like a new kind of like political ideology, uh, like a new kind of political group. And their whole spiel is that they are trying to be like completely, I would say like member and community led. So it's I, I wouldn't really consider it to be like any kind of authoritarian government, despite, you know, their outfits very much looking like it. They're very much like if you join the Grey Hands, you get to decide what your job is. Like you tell us what you want to do. How do you want to help society? Do you want to be your own boss? That's like essentially yeah. the vibe of the Grey Hands, which is fascinating. But also, you know, w- while you're like, oh, maybe they're fine because they look a little troubling, but like maybe they're OK because there's propaganda all over the place and stuff like it seems kind of shitty and shady, but like maybe it's okay. Simultaneously, this guy is like, yeah, we're going to blow up the dam at the top of the Sang Valley and flood the whole place in like three days. Uh, (laughs) So we've been evacuating everybody for the past like couple months and I can't let you in here. And then you're like, oh, but I'm trying to record everything. I'm trying to like capture what this season was like before it ended. And he's like, oh, in that case, you should go down, you know, you have three days. So like, you know, obviously don't be here in three days when we blow (laughs) the dam up, but you should go down and record what Sang Valley was like before it's like washed away in a flood, essentially. And you make your way down there and And there are like still people there like packing and like trying to come to terms with the fact that their home is about to get flooded out. And a lot of the game at this point, at least this is where I'm at now, is about exploring Sang Valley, which is this like huge Area with a bunch of different discrete areas. So there's like a little farmland that you can go and talk to the person who lives at the farm. And she, the the whole thing is that everyone who is leaving the Seng Valley is moving into this large apartment complex at the top of a mountain somewhere elsewhere. And this woman who owns this farm has been uh, essentially recreating the exact layout and dimensions of her apartment and trying to figure out how she's going to be able to like store all of her sentimental objects. And, and like how she's going to live with her son in a place so small when she's used to a place that's, you know, wide open and, and underneath the open sky. And it's really tough. It's really tough to talk to these people and be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose my like culture. Like I, I, I grew up in Seng Valley, et cetera, et cetera. And you're just making your way around this space learning about it before it gets wiped away forever and i think one of the interesting things about the game is that a lot of it is just going around taking photos talking to people recording things and putting them in your notebook and every once in a while they'll add pages to the notebook that are like figure out what the gray hands are up to like what Mm -hmm. is their vibe or why are they flooding sang valley or you find like a dig site and there's a there's a spot that's like okay figure out what the dig site is you need to go around and find like documents and record things and take photos of things and put them in the scrapbook. And when you're done with it, the protagonist will be like, okay, here's what I think is going on. And in those ways... So there's a
1: bit of like a sort of a detective element to this as well in some ways. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, And in doing so, it really opens you up to to understanding more about the world because the world is so similar to ours and so different simultaneously. You know, the idea of this like kind of like fantasy adjacent uh, malady of the mind that is potentially floating around. Um, you find out that Sang Valley is specifically known for having these crystals underneath it which seem to be the like compressed memories of everybody who has lived there in the past. And that by itself is kind of like infecting people with different maladies as well. Like the fact that they're living so close to this concentration of other people's memories um, and emotions is like starting to get to other people. And it's it's a it's a fascinating world. And I, I can't overstate how beautiful it is. Uh, and how much I love just riding the bike around I, one of the, my favorite things, honestly, like maybe the best use of the dual sense controller I've seen so far is almost like Death Stranding adjacent. But whenever you're on the bike, you have to press the right trigger and the left trigger to pedal the right and left pedal. And in doing so, you get like the feedback of you actually needing to ride this bike. And it, it just feels fantastic. But also the game is so beautiful and it's so much about the aesthetic beauty and the, the audio side of it as well, that that being the focus, not only of like the game's design, but also the game's mechanics means that they really needed to lock it in and they absolutely did so what you're left with on top of all of that is like what is the game exploring thematically and it's so i mean it's tackling a lot of ideas but specifically like the loss of culture and the and the the need to record and understand the past yeah. um and how you're supposed to balance that with you know trying to build a better future for yourself while also keeping the past in check is really really interesting and i think obviously you know as a lot of people say like it it's It resonates a lot right now, I think specifically, but also just kind of stands on its own as a really beautiful and very human story. I can't I can't overstate how much I love this game. I think it's I think it's remarkable.
1: I feel my wallet grow lighter the more you uh, talk <laughs> about it. It sound it sounds wonderful. And I think like I think photography in general is a really great mechanic to center a game around. And we yeah. still haven't seen like a ton. Like I, I think of um like new Pokemon Snap as a good example, but also Alba and Umuranki generation. Like yeah. all those games I think are exploring photography in interesting ways. And it sounds like this game is like not only exploring photography, but, like, what is the role of a historian? And, like, just, just based on what you're sharing, the first kind of thesis that came to mind is, like, does one have to erase their individuality to like document history without affecting
0: it? Yeah. That actually comes up
1: a lot. Or, you know, like how, how neutral are you in this?
0: Yeah. I just, I just had a, an experience uh, in the game where I I was talking to this little kid whose father passed away. He was one of the researchers in Seng Valley and and his father passed away from, from studying these crystals. Um, And you're given this moment, you're, you're recording everything that this kid is saying. And you're given this moment where, the game gives you the option to either keep to yourself or express to this kid the experience of you losing your own father at a certain point. And I sat there with that decision for a really long time before deciding exactly what you were just saying, that capturing as much information as possible, you know, I I think it's important to inject as much personality from every angle you possibly can, whether that be like actually personally or externally through other people. It's important to capture as much as you possibly can from every possible perspective from every person and in that moment it was like the act of withholding this information for yourself instead of sharing it with the future i think in some ways you know while while sentimental and beautiful it could be a little bit selfish if the goal is to tell future generations what it was like to live right now you know right and that was like that was like a weirdly difficult decision to make it was it was weird to sit there and be like you know i i'm I feel a certain way about sharing this information that technically isn't even mine because I'm playing as this protagonist, you know, like this protagonist is a proxy for me, hypothetically, but they also have their own lived experience and they feel weird about sharing it. And I'm given the option to force them to share it anyway. And that's, that was tough. Uh, but that, that does come up a lot. I I didn't even mention this, but the writing is like stunning in this game. The, The writing is like absolutely beautiful. It's, it's, it's a beautiful game. It's a beautiful game. I, I I have so much more to say about it, but I kind of don't want to for fear of spoiling because exploring and understanding is like so much the crux of it. Right. Um, and one of the interesting things is that because nobody has ever left your village, the protagonist also doesn't know what's out there, which I think is very cool. You know, like the, the discovery of other people even out in the world is kind of surprising in some cases because she's like, oh, I thought that every place outside of here was dangerous. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's great. I think I think you would love it. I think most people would love it. It's just like I know that because it is a pretty slow contemplative meditative game, that means it's not going to be for everybody. Um, but if anything that I've said resonates with you, I highly recommend checking it out. Uh, it's also like thirty dollars. I think it's like. Not
1: oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like I know the feeling where you find something that like really is like, oh, like this is such an important work of art, but like it may not be for everybody. But like I think in some ways that's important, too, because I think sometimes the games yeah. that I'm not talking about accessibility. Like, that should be a standard. I'm talking just about, like, specifically what is your taste? Yeah. and not everything can appeal to everyone and the games that are like trying to actually appeal to everybody feel like they were made in a lab you know yeah, where it's right. like so I, I know I know you're speaking more generally but I actually do think there's there's a lot of confidence in being like this game may not be like everyone's favorite but the people who like it it's going to mean a lot to them. Yes. The lead designer of um, Neon White said something similar where I think mm. uh, in making Donut County <laughs> which was <laughs> believe it or not the <laughs> previous game they worked on yeah. they were like that That game was kind of made to like have mass appeal right um and neon white was made like this is like specifically something i really want to make and i know it's gonna like really speak
0: to maybe a smaller group of people Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so i think i think there's power in both
0: yeah yeah i think so too yeah yeah Yeah. and in in making something that speaks only to you really that that means you're putting a lot more of your own personal spin on something and the more you do that the less it's going to be like anything else right exactly um which i think is really beautiful but yeah i i i think this game is astounding um i'm i think like four or five hours in from what I know, it's like, close to 10 hours total okay so i'm still in sang valley i have no idea if like maybe the rest of the game takes place in sang valley i imagine not i imagine there's gonna be more after that but it's one of those things where like i can't help but poke at every single edge and see every single thing that this game has to offer because i'm so enamored by its world i'm so interested in it like i'm i'm out here trying to figure out like okay is this like a post-apocalypse game where like you know what happened pre-year 300 was our civilization right now you know is this like another another take on like what happens to earth, you know, a million years from now or something, or is this actually just another, you know, another alternate planet somewhere where humanity still exists or something. There's no way of knowing, or maybe there will be eventually, but I I think the, the mystery of the space itself is interesting and the, the lens that they're using to talk about the human experience and the importance of documenting and capturing and retaining culture is, is really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah i love it yeah
1: i'm very excited to play it and also i think like just as a video game podcast host hearing 30 dollars, 12 hours long i'm like the rest of us <laughs> doesn't even matter like that just sounds great i
0: just want more of that and good i think i think that's the other important you part know, like,
1: you've, <laughs> you've sold me on it like spiritually and critically but like the lizard part of my brain i was just like, love
0: the idea it's like oh yeah it's 30 dollars. it's like 10 hours and it's real dog shit um <laughs> Even if you, but you said got that I 2 out of 3 and 2 out of 3 I would
1: still get it. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> I'll get 12 hours of dog shit anyway somehow. I'd rather just know it's coming. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> that season a letter to the future uh i'm loving it i don't know if it works on steam deck i, I feel like it would probably be pretty good on steam deck as well I, uh,
1: based on what you're saying though i think this is like a tv game for lack of a better phrase it sounds like it's something you want on like the yeah. best display possible with the best sound possible
0: yeah one of the things that i go back and forth on is um the aspect ratio is presented in like cinema format i think it's I forget what that format is. I think it's like ten by seven or something like that. But you have these like really big black bars on the top and bottom at all times. Oh, interesting. Um, which lends itself again more to a TV setting. And I feel like if you're playing it on the Steam Deck, I feel like you'd be pretty upset that like your already small screen is getting shrunk down even more. <laughs> yeah i think i'll uh is it is it a ps5 exclusive for for no consoles? no it's also on ps4 that's cool but i would you know if you have a ps5 i would recommend the ps5 version yeah I'm, the Dual I'm Sense gonna stuff get is it. great i'm gonna get it after we finish <laughs> and maybe we'll talk about it again i would love to i would love to talk about this game more um yeah as as you've played it more
1: yeah i've heard i've heard great things and i am excited because I, I remember what the initial trailer was like it was one of those cuphead moments where everyone's like what was that more yeah. of that please yeah just by the look alone
0: so. yeah I think, um, I don't know. I, I spend a lot of time in the game just like kind of standing in one place and just kind of like taking it in, uh, which I think is the sign of really killer world building, you know? Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. When I, when I'm just sitting there listening to like a frog (laughs) next to a river, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Video games can be this.
1: Extremely different energy. But I, I did, uh, when we were leading up to our God of War bonus back in, Last September, mm-hmm. I also played a bunch of like other big PlayStation Studios games. Oh yeah, and I forgot that Uncharted Four, despite being very like Indiana Jones esque, like does have a lot of restraint in some moments where like they do let you just like enjoy the view sometimes. Yeah, uh and I I think that that's like yeah, kind of the secret ingredient of the better Uncharted games is like just let me like not jump into the next scene yet. I just want to like enjoy this landscape you've created.
0: Yeah, I think just in general for me, at least all good fiction storytelling involves downtime. Um, Yeah, I I think downtime is so important to connect readers or players or whatever watchers uh, with the world (laughs) and the characters. You know, Um, absolutely. I I love downtime in anything. It was one of my big gripes, I think, with with the Harry Potter books, even when I read them pre everything, Uh, obviously, it's happening now. But like, even when I read them, I was like, I just want more time of like, they're not being a big bad trying to end the world. Like, I just want so much to know what it's like to just hang out that's why
1: new moon is the perfect film you get 10 minutes of bella (laughs) sitting in a chair and the camera rotating around her to like tom york beautiful sequence yeah it's great yeah
0: yeah yeah yeah, okay tom york (laughs) wrote a song for that movie Bonnie Vare and St. Vincent teamed up to write a song for that movie and Death Cab for Cutie wrote a song for that movie
1: yeah it's someone knew what era 2000s were gonna
0: be and we're like can we bottle this for New Moon yeah like can we just get like everything yeah exactly Killer. they did a great job that soundtrack was amazing i could not believe <laughs> i could not believe when i was like is this a tom york song i've never heard in this movie of all yeah. places
1: i think the two films with the most surprisingly good soundtracks are believe it or not twilight and digimon both of those soundtracks <laughs> are like talk about also like being a crystal of a decade yeah someone was like can we like condense ska into powder form and that's what the digimon soundtrack is <laughs>
0: I almost on a whim picked up Digimon survive the other day. And then I was like, Oh, I'm already playing persona. I should really, <laughs> yeah.
1: I, uh, there there's, I feel like I don't know why. Cause neither of us are big Digimon fans. Like I, I like it. I just, it's never been like my thing. I loved the movie when I was a
0: kid, but I, yeah, I also liked the movie. Didn't enjoy um, the games or the TV show very much.
1: I actually like, it didn't make my list, but I did have fun with the weird DS Digimon game. It was, it was surprisingly good. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, it was fine. But, yeah. uh, I'm sure there's going to be like, I think Cyber Sleuth is the one people talk about. Like one day I'll, I'll check that out and bring it to the show. I did actually play a bunch of
0: that on the Vita. I, I, sh- I shouldn't say I didn't like the games. I did like that one when I played yeah, it. Yeah. That
1: one seems to be like the one. And I think
0: that's on the Switch now also,
1: right? It is. I think it's also on PS4. It's, yeah. it's pretty widely available. Yeah. So cool. one day, uh, one day we'll talk about, I don't know any other names. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> I was I was I'm like,
0: Goromon is one of them.
1: Yeah. I was like, what, what is like a fun one I can pull out of my hat? And I'm like, I actually know nothing about them. <laughs> I don't have any Fue Coco equivalent here. Yeah, this that, is nothing.
0: That sounds like a, a rich vein for us to tap into one day. Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, do you want to take a break and move on to the next season of our show? I would. L- <laughs> I would love to do that. All right. Awesome. Hope season it's a good of the one. The witch. Season of the new moon. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: Let's a go, Mario. I've been playing Mario too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Actually, like literally Mario too. The lost yeah, levels, the lost levels. I'll talk about this. Why not? I I, I started playing Mario. I won't say too much about it because we might have some plans. But uh, I've been playing I've been playing Mario for some reason on on video for our YouTube channel. I don't know why. Like, I literally was just sitting there looking at every every console I have, every game I own. And I was like, I really want to do some kind of video for the YouTube channel because I hadn't done anything yet since... Yeah. since it, it Honestly, I think since, like, November when we were yeah. preparing for the Game of the Year stuff, I had just, like, stopped making video because it's I was like... It's a busy so, season for us, yeah. Yeah, it was like, I really didn't have time for anything else. Uh, but now I'm like, oh, I have time now. It's January. You know, we're like in the doldrums of winter like i have all this free time which which i make videos about and the hardest i laughed to myself was just thinking like wouldn't it be funny if i played mario and i don't know if anyone else thinks it's as funny as i do but every time i sit down and start making a mario video i think it's like peak comedy i think it's so funny you you
1: named it what is super mario brothers Yeah as if any because you you have a lot of on our youtube you've made a lot of like what is x it's a great series and you you play games that are maybe like new and and need kind of a pitch and it's like the game that needs a pitch the least is mario (laughs) Mario. (laughs) and i think it's i think it's as funny as you think it is i've also really enjoyed them they've been kind of uh akin to your steam world dig series where it's like just sort of like little like trials and shovel knight yes 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 i'm sorry shovel knight dig
0: yeah yeah Yeah, it's it's fun it's weirdly fun i somebody commented Somebody like crystallized, I think, why I'm having so much fun doing it uh, in, in the comments. I said something to the effect of like, it's nice to watch somebody who's not a god play Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Which I was like, yeah, when was the last time you watched a video of somebody just like playing it normally without using like warp zones and without being a computer or computer adjacent, you know? Yeah. What, what's
1: the name of like the whole, there's a whole subgenre of Mario that's like specifically like impossible versions of it. Kaizo, Kaizo Mario. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like they're, they're mostly like that kind of content.
0: Yeah, which I feel like I'm kind of getting into now. So I, for those of you who haven't seen it on our YouTube channel, I did four episodes of the first Super Mario Brothers because I couldn't beat World 8. It took me forever. Um, <laughs> and now I'm doing the Lost Levels, which is the Mario game that came out the year after the original uh, that they didn't release outside of Japan because they were like, this might be too hard for like a worldwide audience. And that game is very difficult. It's like Kaizo adjacent. I feel like that game is the reason that the kaizo mario yeah, thing absolutely absolutely is because of lost levels um and it introduces all these things that like never come back like all of these mechanics and things that are like so demanding and so difficult um like like poison mushrooms and stuff at the exact moment that you think you're gonna get a regular mu- things like that i mean it's like nonsensical hammer brothers fucking everywhere that game is wild it uh, was the it,
1: first time it Was it released in the U.S. for the first time via Super Mario All-Stars? Yes. Was that like the first? Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, Which is how I've been playing it. Uh, I've been playing it on the Switch. Nintendo Switch Online Super Nintendo Collection. Um, yeah. So I've been playing Super Mario All Stars, which is interestingly not the version that includes Super Mario World. It's just like the original Super Mario All Stars. Yeah, but uh, they have Super Mario World separately, obviously. But I don't, I don't know if my plan is to play all of them in release order. But that's kind of what I'm trending on doing at the moment. Uh, Why not? Until Do I it. can like think of something else I'd rather make videos about. But for now, I feel pretty obligated to finish lost levels.
1: Yeah, I've always gone back and forth about uh, like Mario Three and super mario world i feel like are always kind of neck and neck in terms of like which i think super mario world takes it for me because there's something like kind of slippery about like (laughs) like every level feels like an ice level in mario 3 (laughs) but it's also an incredible game and it feels like it's cool to see mario reach that point on the nes and then like where it goes on super nintendo Mm -hmm. and, and after that it's kind of amazing
0: yeah and and the Super Mario All-Stars recreations of those first few games are They're
1: beautiful, really pretty. Yeah. They're mostly my my first video game ever, which I guess technically was my sister's, because as I mentioned before, like I was born and my family already had an NES. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like the Super Nintendo was Super Nintendo and N64 were for kind of for both of us. Yeah. GameCube was the first one where I was like, this is for Steven. This is mine. <laughs> the season um, of Steven. Season of Steven. 2001, baby. Twilight's <laughs> almost here. Sure. <laughs> um, but uh the first Mario we had was the Duck Hunt Super Mario Brothers like combo. Yeah. Which was sick. But I'm so used to the Mario All-Stars versions of them mm-hmm. that like when I've gone back and played Like I have Mario three on the 3ds. Whenever I go back to the NES versions, I'm like, oh man, like why isn't the background fun? Where's the painting of Bowser? Yeah, Uh,
0: I just I love the (laughs) I love the Super Nintendo remix of them. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're they're beautiful, and it's it's nice to have them all in one collection. Specifically, one of the things I I was shouting out in one of the more recent videos I I did. I don't even know if it's out yet, but uh, was something to the effect of like it's actually nice to have started with the Super Mario All Stars collection because you can get used to the physics that they use for like all of those games in those recreations because it's kind of just like a recreation of all those games in the same engine. Um, so you're not getting any like slight tweaks or differences between any of them, which is kind of nice. So like once you once you learn the arc of Mario's jump, you're, you're set.
1: <laughs> Unlike uh, Mario 3D All-Stars, where it's like the minute you're used to the parkour of
0: 64, then they're, they give
1: you a big water gun. That yeah. It's like, how do you jumping. feel
0: about shaking the Nintendo Switch Pro <laughs> controller?
1: I really enjoyed having all those games on Switch and I enjoyed our bonus about them. But it's a bummer that that was like a temporary release. And just comparing it to like, yeah. The original all-stars like it's just night and day like you can feel the love and like the celebration of super mario all-stars yeah 3d all-stars
0: feels like not on the same level <laughs> yeah i i don't use this phrase very frequently but it felt so much like a cash grab like it felt so much yeah. like let's do everything we possibly can to make as much money as we possibly can very 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 quickly yeah i mean down to like the bad emulation of mario 64 and stuff it's like really upsetting
1: yeah, um, and, I, and I thankfully the like I think the N sixty four stuff in general is a bit of a roll of the dice on Switch. But thankfully the Super Nintendo uh if you ha- if you subscribe to Nintendo Online, the Super Nintendo collection is pretty great. Yeah, it's awesome. We talk about game preservation a lot, and I'm glad like there's a way to play all these games and like Super Metroid, Super Mario World. That's it's all it's all wonderful.
0: They just added GoldenEye to the N sixty four one recently. <laughs> I can't. I just look, I wanna <laughs> die on
1: my perfect dark hill, but Perfect Dark made Goldeneye obsolete in the in the early 2000s.
0: Yeah, this this like, has been honestly when when Goldeneye was announced to be coming to the Switch Online and also to Xbox Game Pass, uh I was just like a whole new era of people with rose tinted glasses sitting down to play Goldeneye and they're so excited to recapture some kind of like lost youth moment. And they're going to be so disappointed. Like, I I remember having that experience in high school at a certain point when I went over to my friend's house with a a huge group of friends. And he was like, guess what? I have Goldeneye and four N64 controllers. And we were like, oh, my God, let's recapture our youth. And we all sat down to play. We're like, this game is not very good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was a great moment in time. And I'm glad we all have that memory. And like, how dare they... Show the truth to everyone. You should have let all these people live, continue living a lie, yeah, and thinking that Goldeneye is at all fun. <laughs> you
0: know what this sounds like now? That, now that we're saying it, this is the one time that you and I are against game preservation. Yeah, it's it's like, like they actually should not have brought Goldeneye to the future. Get rid of Goldeneye. Buy a copy and and throw it into the
1: ocean. <laughs> <laughs>
0: We should all be playing Nightfire instead. Nightfire is the, is what Goldeneye wants to be. I have childhood memories of like showing up to
1: hangouts with Perfect Dark and people be like, why don't you bring Goldeneye? I'm like, because Goldeneye sucks. <laughs> Perfect Dark is better. You could be an alien named Elvis. What else do you want? Anyway.
0: so Marvel Snap, huh? So Marvel Snap. <laughs>
1: Speaking of showing up to hangouts and game preservation, (laughs) uh, Marvel Snap has dropped the ability to battle friends. Which I'll be honest, I, I, you know, I've really enjoyed Marvel Snap. I think it has exceeded everyone's expectations for a free to play Marvel inspired card game on mobile. Like, I think it's genuinely one of the best designed collectible card games out there right now so much fun despite the issues with some of the monetization and and some of the you know ways progression flows and and some of the more questionable aspects of that design i do think it's clear the people that actually work on the game like really care about it and are really like loving updating it and and making sure that it's like not a fad but it's like a game that people can like play for a long period of time yeah that's all great but i I was like i was starting to feel like maybe like i was like should i uninstall it like did i have my time with it already like is it over for me interesting is it joining Goldeneye in the seas of of yesteryear? In the seas of don't preserve this? <laughs> um, and then they introduced battling friends. And honestly, my friend Chris and I did a few battles and we played through, we did a best two out of three for each of our decks mm. and then started sending each other ideas. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I am fully back. This is so much fun. Yeah. I think adding this feature was really important because I think, the fact that the only way to play was ranked play, I think was kind of rubbing some people the wrong way. And like, I've never really cared about rank, but it's hard not to sort of feel like shitty about yourself on an unconscious level. When you just see like numbers going down where you're just trying to like, I I don't really, I'm not, I'm not super competitive with this game. Like I don't really care, but like there definitely needs to be a place to at least experiment with new decks. Cause like when I make a new deck and I want to try it out, I like, know I'm going to go down like three or five ranks just because like,
0: yeah, I'm going to be testing it out. So I do feel like gr- you're incentivized to not try new decks or at least you were. Before, yeah, you're right. Uh, while, while ranked was the only thing that exists, uh, existed because so frequently it would be like, oh, I'm making a new deck. And then I would go look at my rank and it would be like fifty nine you know yeah oh i'm so close to 60 okay well i'm not gonna try this deck out then until i hit or so thoroughly drop down past (laughs) past 59 you know
1: yeah so i uh so basically how it works is you can either choose to host or join a game and if you choose to host it will send you like a code to send to somebody else and they type in that code and and you'll go right into a match And the way it handles betting cubes, which in ranked play is how your rank goes up or down. Like, it's sort of like poker. You can, it starts off as two, but if you're feeling confident, you can raise the stakes. The way it works with a friendly match is you both have like a health bar and you can bet more and that will do like more damage to the person that loses the match. So once like the health is down, like if you just do one to one, you can get in like 10 or so matches my math might be a little bit wrong but it's like a good amount like it goes down pretty slowly but if you bet more like if you bet like eight most of your health bar is gone yeah right (laughs) but I've mostly just been doing two out of three because I think that like usually when you have three matches you want to try out one of your other decks Mm -hmm. and see how that does so it's just been really fun I would love
0: the option to switch decks in between yeah
1: I think they should they should add that but I think adding this feature is definitely going to keep the game alive for me because with any any era I've been in where I've been into a collectible card game I like making decks and playing with friends more than anything else yeah that's when I was into magic that's what I did and the minute you know I I got into magic my senior year of college and the minute I was faced with the with the reality of like just being a guy who plays magic without a household of people who also play I'm like I don't know if I feel incentivized enough to keep doing this Mm -hmm. like I know I have other friends who still play but I'm just like I feel like I can either like make this something i do forever or drop it now yeah right and you know i i do miss it and i think marvel snap is a nice way for me to like have that without spending as much money and time on it (laughs) yeah and i also got speaking of twilight i got the vampire mom variant of jubilee which has inspired a whole new deck so i'm very excited about that that's great yeah Yeah.
0: i uh yeah now, now that i'm post pools one two and three and i'm kind of like in this in this new era of of collecting cards in a different way um, I have gotten a couple of the like higher tier card unlocks recently. I just got She-Hulk, who is oh, like nice. unreal, unreal yeah, card. I got Super Scroll, who feels similarly frightening. Yes, Super Scroll is so silly. Yeah, Marvel Snap is great. I, I'm hoping that they release like a totally unranked mode eventually. That's kind of my, yeah. my like that, that's Was that announced? They said something like that, right? Or did I imagine that? That might be true. Yeah. I probably shouldn't say anything else. I don't know. I, I don't know what's <laughs> been announced what
1: hasn't. <laughs> but yeah i i really like super scrolls smile for some reason it does his facial (laughs) expression on that card looks like
0: whoever just played him is currently smiling it's
1: like you're (laughs) fucked very mischievous yeah
0: specifically literally right now today the day that we're recording this uh the the hot location is one that doubles your ongoing powers and super scrolls thing is that he steals all the ongoing powers from every card on the board every Uh, enemy card Yeah. yeah so if you if you play him in that zone uh he's going to be destructive <laughs>
1: but he's fun and i'm really impressed with their commitment to making every card's ability sort of match the vibe of the character totally yeah and like super scroll is a character that either you won't know is there because you won't play him or is like the determining factor secret weapon Mm -hmm. which from what i know about scrolls their whole thing is they're kind of like uh shapeshifters and they can pretend to be other people and that's that's exactly what they are like that's the threat level in the comics as Mm -hmm. well which is a lot of fun. I really like that. Yeah. yeah um, they,
0: they've been really smart about that stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Mar- Marvel snap.
1: It makes me like think about if other things had a snap, what certain characters would play as. I've had fun to sort of imagining that.
0: Yeah. I'm wondering, I, d- I don't know if, if this is even in the cart. I didn't mean to, <laughs> fun. Um is even in the cards, but I, I could see a world in which, you know, the Walt Disney company, like the larger Walt Disney company is like, OK, second dinner, you did a great job with Marvel. We'll do it for Star Wars. You know, <laughs> Star Wars. Yep. I want to make a, a Kit Fisto deck. OK, wait now. Now we're talking.
1: What's Kit Fisto's power? He shows up in the second lane and then disappears. And then dies.
0: <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, poor Kit. Yeah, my deck is Ben Quaternero's Kit Fisto, Uncle Owen uh the death star um (laughs) snoke the cast of rogue one yeah Yeah, snoke god (laughs) this is my lights out deck just all the all the characters that
0: have fallen it's morbid supreme leader snoke uh it played in the same lane as kylo ren splits into two cards that's not a bad
1: idea kind of arn zola ask yeah but yeah i mean I, I think going back to marvel snap like i think that it's clear what i know about the development of the game like it wasn't originally marvel like they just made this card game yeah and it worked, and then Marvel like acquired it later. And I think that really shows. I think it's not about like this game just fundamentally is fun to play and it works, and and the Marvel of it all is the flavor of it, right? But like it is, it doesn't have to be that to work. Yeah, which is cool. Yeah, uh, it's good. I would recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> we should play some time. now. Though my brand has been poisoned because now every now and then I'll just text one of my friends, "Duel?" question <laughs> mark. <laughs> And that's like my new energy, I guess.
0: Yeah, I've been playing. I've been playing the the battle mode with uh, some of my coworkers, which has been really fun. I think we'll see. I'm I'm trying to set up and like an internal Marvel tournament uh, oh, with nice. like the people at Marvel Games and the people at Second Dinner and stuff. I think that'd be really fun. That'd be um, cool. Anyway, that's right, dear listener. It's time to pivot. Play the pivot song, AJ.
1: With here with the business <laughs> We're talking Age of Empires <laughs> ball 2. with the ball, to bang to bang ticky, ticky, so the boogie will am the boogie.
0: Got it in one. We're talking Age of Empires <laughs> 2 Definitive Edition, which I actually, I don't really have that much to say about. Um, if I'm being totally honest, I just wanted to do a bit. Age of Empires 2, a game for the, the personal computer that came out, I think, in the early 2000s, if I'm not mistaken. Did you play any of the Age of Empires games? <sighs> I feel like these were the games my friends had, which which
1: sounds like a shitty backhanded compliment, but like I feel like I was really into civilization. Yeah. And I got the Age of Empires kick just like hanging out with friends. I remember really liking Age of Mythology. Yeah, Age of Mythology is sick. There was actually a Star Wars one. Uh, there's like a Star Wars reskin of Age of Empires. That was also a lot of fun. Interesting. I didn't know that. I remember I made I made like dozens of Wookies and was unstoppable. Wow. Yeah. I, I want to know about this. Hang on. I wonder if George saw that and he was like, like, we got to do this in Revenge of the Sith. Steven's on to something. We, we hacked his data. Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds. Yeah, what, what year was that? That must have been like the late 90s. That was, it was 2001. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So around, around there. So that was like, that was right when Phantom Menace was coming out. Oh my God. Or Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Isn't it sick? This is still available on PC. I wonder if it runs on Steam Deck. <laughs> Hold on. We got to find out. We can't leave the dear listener. They don't need to Google Proton DB. What's it called again? Uh, Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds. Okay, I have, I have done the research. I Googled or I proton DB'd Star Wars Galactic Battlegrounds. It is considered gold on the Steam Deck. Hell yeah. So uh, it works just fine with some minor tweaks.
0: Yeah, it, lo- it looks like um, it runs at really tiny resolutions and you need to download a mod to get it to run on the Steam Deck screen. But when you do, it works. So there you go. That's really exciting. Um, (laughs) You're welcome. Anyway, yeah, I'm glad you brought up civilization. I feel like that's the closest analog to the age of X video game series but what, what i would what i would say about the difference between the two if you ever played civilization which i feel like is a much more popular franchise than, than the age of whatever games but civilization I, I feel like is very macro right it's like looking at you know yes. the entire world or continents or like entire like uh entire civilizations believe it or not um oh. age of empires is more about like the boots on the ground like actual people setting up and yeah building. it's, it's kind
1: of like starcraft or warcraft 3 like, yeah. or Warcraft 2 where it's like it's more it's an RTS game right yeah. rather than like a turn based strategy game
0: so like the game always begins with you and like a couple of villagers like setting up your town center and then building like a barracks and a farm you know so you have yeah. like a, a soldier and a way of having of getting food and then eventually over the course of time obviously you make your town bigger and bigger and bigger you make your way through the different uh, ages the different seasons if you will wow as you get into like industrialization and things like that it's very similar to civilization in that way but it's always told from the perspective of like individuals in the societies that you're building uh instead of being like i built this whole town now i'm going to build a trader to this town now i'm going to talk as a world leader to another world leader it's more just like no i'm going to get a huge army and i'm going to command all of them to go you know fuck up this one specific watchtower things like that yeah anyway i really liked age of empires 2 when it first came out i played it a lot uh way back when uh and then got age of mythology i remember for christmas one year and that was like all I did for like three days. Like I yeah. lo- I love Age of Mythology. <laughs> I think that that is probably the best game in that franchise, but interestingly enough, they've remade Age of Empires two from the ground up and released it. They released it a while ago on PC, um, yeah. but now it's also on console through game pass, which is cool because I think they also made an Age of Empires four. Like they made, they made a new one Oh, uh, interesting. That, that's available on PC as well. But uh, I, I just was curious, like pure nostalgia Uh, to check out Age of Empires 2. And it works really well on console. And that's really all I have to say about it. Like, it's on Game Pass. Go check it out if you're interested in games like that. Um, Go through the tutorial. It's very silly. Uh, The story that they're trying to tell through the tutorial is like, I don't know. It's like camp adjacent. So (laughs) check that out. But uh, yeah, Age of Empires 2, definitive edition.
1: Did you find that it sort of reinforced your like love of the series or was it more to sort of like fun to revisit
0: it was more sort of fun to revisit i think if they do the same kind of thing with mythology i will be super into it like i yeah as much as i like age of empires 2 the one that i always think about is mythology and that's the one that i would prefer i think if they were ever to go revisit it i'm actually i'm more curious to check out four now and i, yeah. I wonder if that runs on steam deck I'll check that out. Yeah, it's cool to hear that it worked well on consoles. Like RTS has,
1: has traditionally always been a little bit hard to yes. bring over to console. Like, I remember uh, my friend, <laughs> my friend Ryan. I'll give you a shout out if you're listening. He had only played Starcraft on N64, mm-hmm. um, and I was like, I don't want to say you did the wrong thing, but like you don't know what you're missing. <laughs> like it's 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 actually really. I mean, it's, weirdly enough, Starcraft on N64 is pretty rare and pretty expensive Mm. and it's like easily the worst way to play starcraft but it's like kind of wild that it exists just like seeing the seeing the terran marine on a n64 cartridge is wild Yeah, it's it's kind of like some of the uh, orange box stuff in a way like yeah, TF2 playing TF2 and Xbox 360 even in 2009 was depressing. It was like me and four people (laughs) waiting in a lobby for 20
0: minutes and then being like, "Ew, it's the same people again. Yeah, I was always I was a really, really, really big fan of the original Call of Duty. I used to play it a lot on PC and they eventually ported it to Xbox 360 and it was similarly like so disappointing to load it up and be like, wow, a really easy approachable way for everyone To play the first Call of Duty. I bet everyone's going to love it. Now that Call of Duty is a huge major franchise. And there was like never anybody playing it. So sad.
1: It was still cool to have the orange box on
0: Xbox though. Because you had Portal and Half-Life
1: 2 as well. Which I still have to get to. Yeah. All these years later.
0: Uh, Steven, do you want to take one more break?
1: Yeah, one more season.
0: One more. uh, Yeah, one more season left in me, I think.
1: That sounds good to me. Okay, goodbye. Bye-bye. Brendan, we're back. Nice. I got another (laughs) new game for you, although this one's a little retro as well. Oh, okay. It's a game called 8-Bit Adventures 2. This is actually also available for a lot of things. It's on PS5, Switch, PS4, Xbox One. I'm playing on the Steam Deck, and uh, on Steam, it's it's a question mark for the Steam Deck, but it plays just fine. Oh, okay. So and I've been I've been enjoying it on the Steam Deck. Uh and basically it is a purposely retro JRPG that came out really recently, like a few days ago yeah. at the time of this recording. Yeah, it's really recent. You sent me a trailer and said this looks cool, and I agreed and I got it. Uh, <laughs> and I have Oh pla- wow, this is available on everything. Yeah. Yeah. I nice. I'm like five ish hours in, I would Whoa. say. And I think it's really great. And I think it deserves way more attention than it's getting uh obviously there's some positive buzz around it but Mm. i was excited to bring it to the show because i think it's sort of synonymous with a lot of different conversations we've had like i think we're at a time where making a game that is a purposely retro rpg It's not a bad idea, but it's a really uphill battle to be noticed Yeah, because not only is that just a super popular genre of game, for lack of a better word for it, in the indie scene, but Square Enix themselves are also making purposely retro RPGs of their own. So not only are you competing against other indie developers, but you're also working against Square themselves. Like (laughs) this is not a situation where it's like, Oh, Nintendo used to make these kind of games, but now they don't. So I will, it's like, no, everyone on earth is making these games. Yeah. And it's not, not, it doesn't have to be a competition, but I just think the, you know, we mentioned this too with like Metroidvanias with souls, like mechanics. It's like, it's just harder to stand out. Mm -hmm. And I like, using whatever whatever power we have in the aether I, I like you know being able to bring attention to some smaller games if we're able to do so yeah so a bit of 2 is really interesting and i think i've i've made a lot of comparisons in my head to Chain echoes which is another purposely retro rpg that came out at the very end of last year but kind of everyone's counting it as a this year game immediately mm-hmm. i'm still pretty early on in chain decos but i think it's interesting to see why in my opinion chain decos and 8-bit adventures 2 are working way better than say something like uh lost sphere in my opinion mm. where and i think a lot of that boils down to like chain decos and 8-bit adventures 2 are both pulling from a lot of stuff you know, I think like in the first hour of Chain Echoes, like you can see like eight different games and right. same with A bit of too. Uh the main difference, though, which I think is really interesting. And I think this is not a better or worse scenario, but I just think it's kind of like central to the identity of both games and what they're doing uniquely Chain Echoes to me. And maybe this is not entirely accurate because I've only played like the prologue, but already Chained Echoes, in my opinion, seems interested in deconstructing and challenging Tropes of those types of games, yeah. Like it's it's really seeking to kind of challenge convention while also like existing within those conventions. Mm. Eight Bit Adventures Two just fucking loves conventions. It's just like so (laughs) pumped to be doing these things, yeah. And because of that, it's just really charming and really earnest. And I think it's also doing those types of things well. So to kind of give you more context of what it is, I saw a pitch of it on, I think it was a Reddit thread where someone who worked on the game was like plugging it and saying what it was pulling from. And they said the combat was inspired by Final Fantasy X, Mother 3, and Chrono Trigger. (laughs) Which I would say I'm seeing that, but honestly, I'm getting a lot. And maybe because I just played it, but I'm getting a lot of Final Fantasy V. Like it feels very akin to V in spirit because it's kind of um, purposely simple, but it's it's really well done within that simplicity. So the pitch of the game overall, like the setting of it is in this like JRPG fantasy worlds. And it begins with sort of like a, uh, symphony of the night opening where you play as like a higher level overpowered character. Who's like a very kind of dragon quest chosen one hero.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they just kind of show you like, okay, here's like what combat is going to eventually look like. And the way combat works the game itself kind of looks like a Game Boy Color game and then when you're in combat you can definitely see the the mother or Dragon Quest influence because all the characters like have like boxes on the bottom where there's like a little sprite of their head and like what they're doing and then the enemy you get like a first person view of the enemy and they're much more detailed and honestly like the the artwork for the enemies is really stunning it's really cool and it really does a great job like I don't know I guess like adding stakes to what it feels more like a tongue-in-cheek like harder to venture like when you're in battle and you see these enemies very similar to what mother is doing I was just
0: about to say I'm, I'm on their website right now I'm looking at some screenshots of it and it really it looks like they kind of took the the mother influence of having you know whatever enemy you're fighting big and in the middle of the screen and then exactly have the sprites of all of your party members just kind of like hanging out on the bottom
1: yeah and cool. the, the combat is turn based and it's simple but it's really well done so you see the turn order which is great and basically basically Basically, every character uh, seemingly has a set class. I'm not sure if you can experiment, but so far I have two party members and every character has a set ability that they can do cost free. And then they also learn like uh, special attacks that use like mana equivalent. Mm. So the main character, Charlie, is this kid who his, his ability that he can use cost free is attacking two enemies or attacking one enemy twice but at half the damage but he also has a special ability where he does that but at full damage but it costs uh mp basically Mm. and then eventually there's also like an omega ability where everyone has like a limit break they can do but there seems to be one shared meter so like when you have that meter full you choose which character you want to use their special ability so i think charlie's special ability is he can attack all enemies and lower their defense and uh the other character i have who i named lucy her ability is uh like doing damage and blindness and poison to like one single enemy all at once Mm. so it's really like very familiar stuff but i think it's really well done and I think it's elevated by how good the music is soundtrack to this game is incredible and how good the the enemy illustrations are and also just how modern the game feels because in addition to like stuff like seeing the turn order and like doing a good job like tutorializing the combat the game also has no random encounters so all the enemies are visible on the map which is Great. what Chrono Trigger does and and it's it's a pretty established convention at this point yeah. it's not as common as you would want it to be but in addition to that when you find a save point at the end of a dungeon you can choose to revive the enemy if you want to grind more. So like it oh, gives that's, you the best of both worlds, right? So yeah. it's like I think the trade-off of not having random encounters is like it's harder to level up if you need to. Mm-hmm. So the save points at the end of a dungeon will will give you that ability to revive enemies and they'll also give you advice on the upcoming boss. So the save point talks and they'll be like, oh, well, like for this fight, like you want to pay attention to when you want to defend. And I'd recommend like looking for this item that was in the dungeon you just completed. Yeah. Which I think is just a really nice addition. And it's, it's nice that it's optional if you don't want to have that much information. But like, I think it prevents some of the the points of tension in older games like this where like you just don't know something's going to happen and then suddenly you're like team wiped because of it. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of really great design. You can tell the people who made this like really, really know and love these types of games and they're really being selective at like what they want to bring forward. Yeah. And I have to say that the writing is really surprisingly good. Not that I expected it to be bad but I think when you hear I think the title of it for me for unfair reasons I just thought it was going to be more simple or maybe more like meta in some ways but it's honestly like all the characters are really endearing and it's a really funny script and the only thing about it where i'm like a little bit on the fence is like there's something undertaily happening here and i'm not sure how big that is but like yeah the, the way the plot kicks off is you're you have that opening where you play as like the ultra powerful character and then there's like a weird glitch and there's this creepy kid that asks uh do you want to play with me and then it cuts out and then it goes to Charlie who's in this school and he's taking a recent history test (laughs) where it just sort of recaps like who the heroes of 8-Bit Adventures 1 were oh okay yeah and it's 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 honestly a really fun introduction to those characters but you get to name them so I named them it's there's a knight a thief and a mage and I named them like knockoff versions of Final Fantasy characters names great so it's Clyde Lucy and Fella um And uh, <laughs> <laughs> which honestly, like those, it works those are perfectly. Good names. Yeah. <laughs> What's really fun is so Charlie is like the 17 year old kid who's like very headstrong and wants to leave this kingdom and see the world. And he like idolizes these three heroes and it honestly works you you don't really need to know what happened in 8-bit adventures one and i honestly think it works better not knowing that because i just like the idea like okay in this world there are like these three famous heroes that already saved the world
2: Mm.
0: and it reminds me of moon a little bit yeah
1: definitely but in the history test it was like these three heroes were chosen by an entity named the computer to save the world from this threat and there's like lingering mentions of the computer and uh there's actually eventually lucy is your first party mate and uh you sneak on a pirate ship together which reminded me of ff5 and you can ask her to recount the events of eight bit adventures one to you and she does that and when you see the computer it like literally has flowey's face like it has that like smiley face oh so i'm like it's, it doesn't, like, I can see it adding to the story and I'm excited to see what elements that is, but, like, that was the one kind of reference from, like, this is a little bit too one-to-one for me. Interesting, like, yeah. having kind of, like, a meta character, like, literally be, like, I know it's just a smiley face, like, Undertale doesn't own that, but, like, it really is, like, exactly Flowey's face. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I'm, like, a little bit nervous about how much that's going to play into it, but I, I'm also impressed at how much of the story so far is just, like straight up doing the fantasy stuff and basically Charlie trying to get the original gang back together and seeing the world by extension but like mm-hmm. it's it's really charming and it really does the classic stuff well and I think it's cool to see a game like this and Shane Decko's kind of exist side by side not that Shane Decko's is like dismissing that history but it's trying to to really challenge convention and see what else is possible and I think 8 Bit Adventures 2 is trying to see like what What was left behind that is worth bringing back and and maybe doing in a more modern way? So I, I would highly recommend it. I think it's a lot of fun. I'm really impressed by it.
0: Yeah, it sounds really good. I, on, yeah. I, I picked it up uh, while you were talking. Um, <laughs> worth noting, actually, it's it's only available on PC at the moment. Uh, so also Steam Deck. Oh, okay, um, But apparently the ports to literally every other console <laughs> uh, are coming sometime towards the end of the year. That
1: might explain why there's not as much buzz as I, I assumed there would be. I, I imagine when it comes to all the consoles,
0: there will be more word of mouth. Yeah, we, we can be uh, early risers in this case. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it looks great. I I really honestly just looking at the screenshots on the website, I was really impressed by how much information they're able to convey on the screen, given the like obviously very purposeful uh, paired back art direction, um, because it has to like fit the kind of like Game Boy Color aesthetic. Even like the way that they're able to display the turn order, I think looks really like remarkably clean, right? Uh, cleaner than some games <laughs> that yeah. are like, you know, fully featured AAA huge things, um, which is this really there's also cool. some
1: really fun sequences like when they introduce all the heroes in the first game there are these like dramatic panels and then when they introduce the thief they're like that's kind of dismissive to call like one of the heroes of time a thief <laughs> and then like they cross out thief and write like hero and then her sprite like winks at the camera like this stuff like that is a lot of fun that's great there's also some like mother three or like earthbound style npc interactions like, on the boat you can talk to these two NPCs that are at a table and they're like, dude, we're on a date right now. Like, why do you have to constantly talk to everybody? Like, you're ruining <laughs> our big shot here. And then there's another guy who's like, you know, I really miss being a pirate. Like being a sailor is cool because it's like, more ethical. But I really miss saying things like Yar Har and Yo-Ho. And he's like, do you want to just fire a cannon with me? Just like for, for the thrill. <laughs> So, like, I think that the, the writing is really fun and really clever, and uh, I'm just hoping it doesn't get too meta, because I think that, like, I like the fact that there's something going on with the computer. It's mysterious and it's interesting, but I don't want that to, like, completely obliterate what they're doing just genuinely well with the fantasy of it all.
0: Yeah, not uh, not to, I guess, relitigate a conversation from last week, but it sounds a little bit like, if it goes down that route, it could be kind of similar to the first spoken situation where it's like, no you actually just like made a cool world here yeah right and, and I just want to live in it and you don't need to undercut it it doesn't need to be you know that wild Um, yeah that, that, that'd be very interesting I mean I I'd, I think I'd be along for the ride if they tried it you know because obviously there are like ways to make that compelling and good and execute it well but I, I appreciate that you're already enjoying where it's at even though it's like playing into stereotypes yeah
1: and I think at the very least like if that overtakes it like I'm, I trust the character interactions will still be there you know yeah. the, and I mean, the cast right now is just two. I'm really excited to see who else joins the party. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some like childhood friends, and and that's the thing too. Like Charlie is like in some ways kind of a typical like shonen esque protagonist, like a headstrong you know young man. But like he has some really interesting relationships with other people. Like immediately, like he has his friend Emma who's, like, sort of the more pragmatic of the two, and she's, like, a better student. He's constantly failing his classes because he just wants to, like, go be an adventurer. Mm-hmm. And he he trains with, like, the head guard, who, like, you can tell the captain, like, really admires this kid's, like, tenacity, but he also has to be, like, the disciplinarian, and with Lucy, uh, the the thief, one of the heroes, like, he really looks up to her and like can tell she's like nervous about something. So like there's there's already some like it's not like super nuanced, but I just think like there's more going on than there would be in one of the games this is based on. You know what I mean? Other yeah. than like, Chrono Trick. I think like like FF5 has like more than you expect narratively but like it is very much more interested in you having like a fun time this game i think is more interested in like giving these characters a little bit more depth than they
0: would be given in maybe like one of these retro games yeah yeah. that's great I love that it's cool um, yeah I'm excited to check it out you and I both have homework this week we both have homework yeah <laughs> the season of 8-bit the season yeah. of homework <laughs> yeah There's, oh also
1: I guess worth noting I haven't played 8-bit adventures 1 it seems like from the reviews I've read you don't really have to like there are some easter eggs and of course like they are you know the heroes of the first one are in this game it seems like I mean the first one came out in I think 2015 and clearly had like less of a production budget like it looks more like an NES game Mm. so i think you could probably jump into this one with no issues maybe one day i'll go back and see how the first one was but it it seems like two is like their their dream fully realized yeah cool yeah uh
0: well i'm gonna check it out i'm excited about it (laughs)
1: it's a good time yeah you got anything else uh No, that's it. I've had a little less time for games this week because I'm simultaneously preparing for our Ocarina bonus. Ocarina of Time, I should say, as well as our 3DS episode. So I've been like trying to chip away at my backlog there yeah. in addition to some life stuff happening. So nothing too much more. There's a lot that I'm looking forward to playing, which I'm excited about. Yeah.
0: Uh yeah same here I mean I've been pretty inundated with all the other stuff that we're doing um and also just playing a lot of Persona 4 still <laughs> um, the game's great I mean I'm always down
1: to do a catch up on Persona 4 Golden
0: yeah maybe maybe when I get further in because uh, I I feel like I'm I'm building out the party right now which is great yeah well in that case i guess we should wrap up then
1: yeah i guess so you know the drill first of all thank you so much for listening uh into the cast that online is your hub for everything places to rate and review the show like apple Podcasts or spotify also links to our youtube and twitch we've been streaming a little bit more i'm i finally returned to my maddening run in the golden deer and three houses uh so that will like appear occasionally and you've been doing your mario uh playthroughs which has been fun (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that sounded like an insult i didn't mean it you've been doing your little mario videos so that's all there uh if you want to support us on patreon that would be incredible if you're able to and like we said we have our uh 3ds episode upcoming for that i also think the rumors of a nintendo direct happening i imagine we'll do something for that uh on the patreon or or maybe for everyone but expect something on that if it's like eventful
0: my guess totally at a totally you know, just uh shot in the dark is that we will know when the Nintendo direct is going to happen by the time this episode comes out. That's, that's I think I my, think that's fair. Yeah. That's be my, 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 uh, I don't know. I, just I think, I think
1: by the, if we're recording this Sunday, February 5th, I think by Monday or Tuesday, there will be like a An direct at the end of the week be, or yeah. next week. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. And then everyone will be like, dude, silk song. And then it's going to be like, no, it's a wrestling game.
0: <laughs> I'm looking forward to wwe smackdown remake yeah just bring it but it's all shaded this time <laughs> uh well thank you so much for listening uh my name is brendan bigley you can find me on the internet period i'm Stephen Hilger. you can find me during the
1: season of new moon yeah team edward team edward are you also team edward i didn't yeah. ask you oh
0: yeah very much yeah
1: i'm glad we're on the same page yeah totally
0: thank you edward <laughs> thank you edward
2: goodbye <laughs> Bye. bye